Welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast brought to you by Aspalis Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Crisis management in today's world is an ever-changing environment. And this podcast is our commitment to helping you navigate and have successful outcomes for any crisis you face. I am your host, Vanessa Matthews. I am a specialist and an expert in providing insights and solutions for crisis continuity and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. So welcome back to another episode of the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Today, we are talking with our guest, Rick Christ. He is a master exercise practitioner, as well as a certified healthcare emergency management coordinator. Before we get started, I want to make sure that we have a few business resilience resource reminders for you. Of course, the Disaster Recovery Journal hosts webinars and other thought leadership. Every Wednesday, they have a new webinar, so be sure to go to their website and look at their upcoming events, including the upcoming conference. In the world of Asphalus, you can always go to our website to check out the Road to Resilience training program and check out some more upcoming speaking engagements and thought leadership opportunities that we have coming up. And of course, if you have enjoyed our podcast, we would be so grateful if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps more listeners like you to find us, and it also helps us to know what you're getting value from through the podcast. So let's jump right in into today's topic and our conversations. The title of today's podcast is The Seven Deadly Sins of Exercises. I'm going to be interviewing Rick Christ. He is a senior consultant with Crisis Prevention and Response Incorporated. So let's welcome our guest. Good afternoon, Rick. Hi, thanks. It's good to be here. Good to see you, sir. What, what uh, part of the country are you in? I am in Appalachia. I am nestled between the Blue Ridge and the West Virginia border in Southwest Virginia. Awesome. I actually grew up in Virginia Beach, so it's a pleasure to see you. <laughs> as far away from Virginia Beach as one can get and still be in the Commonwealth. That's where we are. <laughs> That's funny. So can you tell our listeners more about you and how you landed in emergency management? Pretty traditional career path, I think. Uh, I am, by calling, a firefighter. And uh, decades of firefighting. And then um, it was sort of a natural segue when I moved to Virginia to get into wilderness search and rescue. And it was that got me sent to the lower ninth ward of New Orleans after hurricanes, Katrina and Rita uh, leading a strike team of human remains detection canines and their handlers to begin the search for the victims that remained in the Lower Ninth Ward. Um, when I was there, uh, I asked myself the question that I'm sure millions of others did, how could a city so obviously prone to this sort of disaster be so utterly unprepared? And then I realized the answer was, in part, me. We have, as FEMA lays out, five mission areas, prevention, protection, mitigation, response, and recovery. My entire career is response. I've never done anything. Prevention, we have a bear for that. No, no protection, no mitigation. Um, I respond. And, and after I break all your windows and fill your basement with water, I leave. I don't do recovery either. And I realized, if, you know, so be the change, right? So that made me say, what can I do? I started looking at career paths. 
I found the Master Exercise Practitioner Program at the Emergency Management Institute, which seemed to me to be the best of both worlds. Uh, everybody loves exercises, but it really does help to improve preparedness. And so that's how, that's how I got into this. So I love that response. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned is, you know, exercises help us to prepare. And I always say words are words on paper, but words don't move, people do. And the only way people know how to move and how to execute is if we train. So uh, love your analogies. <laughs> so Rick, uh, I'm excited. This month we're focusing on exercises and we were intrigued by your concept of the seven deadly sins of exercises. So before you get into those seven deadly sins, can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with this concept? Sure, I stole it. Um, in 2017, Craig Fugate, the uh, administrator of FEMA under President Obama, gave a presentation, I think in Stockholm, Sweden, I can send you the link, where he presented the seven deadly sins of preparedness. Now, obviously, he stole the concept of seven deadly sins from others, but one of them is we exercise to success. And by that he meant, we do exercises to make us look good, to make us feel like we are prepared. Uh, instead of what we often say, exercise to failure. In other words, let's see, let's see if we can break it. And I don't know nearly as much about preparedness as Craig Fugate does, but I know a lot about exercises. And it occurred to me, I could drill down and expand on that and create my own uh, litany of concerns about exercises. And it wasn't easy. Uh, uh, it wasn't hard to come up with seven. It was hard to limit it to seven. <laughs> it wasn't hard to limit. It was hard to come up. I like that. <laughs> so I love Craig Fugate, by the way. I have learned so much from, from him. Uh, so I actually graduated from Savannah State University in their Homeland Security and Emergency Management uh, uh, program. And he was a sponsor and an advocate from the FEMA level. And actually my freshman year of college, um, we were able to bring him in to be a keynote speaker where he talked about preparedness with the business community. So love him, uh, love his perspective, love the truth that he brings to the profession and have been following him for a long time. Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, so the seven deadly sins, let's get into them. Can you go through all seven and just give us a little bit of insight as to what these seven mean and, and how we can be more aware of these seven sins <laughs> as we're all going through our programs of developing and maintaining um, exercises? Sure. Number one, we exercise the latest shiny object instead of the things that really should make us worry. Number two, we don't agonize over the exercise evaluation guides. Number three, we exercise scenarios, not capabilities. Four, we evaluate each other's exercises. Five, we re revere the after action report, but we disdain the improvement plan. Number six, we exercise too big. And number seven, we dream too small. That's a word. <laughs> That's a word. So do you want to go into some of those or is it okay if I start to ask you questions about those? Because I've got a lot of questions. You're the host. Okay. So tell me what you mean when you say we don't agonize over the EEGs. <laughs> the exercise evaluation guides are the scorecard for success. Very few exercise practitioners bother to put enough effort into it. Mm -hmm. When I do one, first of all, I do one for every evaluator. What I do is start out by saying, 
what is it that the participants need to demonstrate? Where are they going to demonstrate that? What tools do I need to measure that demonstration of that? And therefore, where do I need evaluators? What do they need to know? And what do they need to have in order to do the job? And so each one of them gets an exercise evaluation guide. And what it says is, here's what they say, here's what we're testing. Here's how good they said they want to be at it. Here are the, the specific things that we need to check off that they identified in their plans that we need, they need to be good at in order to meet this target. Because if, otherwise it's pass fail. Well, we, we don't want to say, well, you didn't hit the target. We want to say, here's where you came up short. And, and so we need to have all those things armed with that and whatever tools they need to measure, a stopwatch or whatever. They can be in the right place at the right time and measure it all. And that's the only, the difference between having fun with your toys and an exercise is measuring against your goal and recording that on the EEG. Otherwise, a good after action report improvement plan is, is, is impossible. Wow. I love that. So that, that kind of brings us into, into the next point in terms of what you're measuring. You talked about we, we, we exercise scenarios, but not capabilities. So my friends, Mark Armour and Dr. David Linstead will probably love this, but Talking about capabilities, I absolutely love that. Um, what do you mean by that? We don't exercise capabilities. I can't tell you how many times today somebody says, uh, we're going to do a snowstorm exercise. Does anybody have a, a template for that? Snowstorms, you don't have to exercise. Snowstorms are beautiful things. I love to curl up with hot cocoa and watch them. Snowstorms can cause problems, problems like power failure, problems like supply chain interruption, and, and problems like too many incidents if you're in the business healthcare that gives rise so snowstorms give rise to problems problems tell us what we have to do to prepare mitigate respond recover those things generate then capabilities like can the hospital feed all of its patients and staff without electricity for three days that's a capability it may arise from a snowstorm it may just as easily arise from an, a power failure or a summer storm it doesn't matter. The capability is what you need to, to measure in an exercise. Yep. We often say here that we, the crisis or the scenario is, is really insignificant. You are correct. I mean, I don't care how it happened. <laughs> the problem is, is that it happens. <laughs> exactly. If you're a football coach, you <laughs> scout the opposing team and you train on what, they're, what the opposing team is good at. That's great. When you're an emergency manager, you have no idea when the game is going to start or where. You have no idea how many players are going to put on the field, and you have no idea what plans are, the plays they're going to call. And so you've got to have a set of capabilities that allow you to respond to whatever comes up. Absolutely. So uh, we revere the AAR and disdain the improvement plan. Yes, yes, and yes. And what 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 personally frustrates me is we make this plan, but then there is no investment in the people and the technology and the additional training or even in the funding so we can write the things that we didn't get right the first time and not keep repeating this, the same mistakes. So tell me about your experiences there. So the AAR is the, is the opportunity to say we've done it. And, and AARs then get put on a shelf. Uh, the document is actually called the AAR slash IP. It's two in one. And the improvement plan is the key. The improvement plan is, so where do we go from here? 
based on what didn't go well, and even based on what did go well, because we frequently find something we weren't looking for that was pure genius that we need to identify, plan out, build out that capacity for, and then work it into our plans. We can't do any of that if we don't have the improvement plan. The improvement plan is very simple. For each thing that didn't go well or that we want to change, we need to identify multiple ways that we can improve and move the needle. And those, those are, are, we have five of those too, poetic planning, organize, equipment, training, and exercises. So if we say, well, we need, we need to fix this, we need to buy this. Okay, fine, buy it, then train on it, then test it in an upcoming exercise. So the IP guides us in the future. It tells us what we're going to exercise next. It tells us why we need to buy that thing next. And it, it drives our training program. Absolutely. So speaking of driving a training uh, program, Number six is we exercise too big. So the HSEEP stair-step approach, right, goes from drills, um, you know, and all the way up to a full-scale exercise, which in many cases, in many organizations, you can have 300, 400, 500 plus plus people. Talk to me about that. I mean, at what point can we exercise big and define what's too big? Too big is when it takes too long to plan it and run it. And in the meantime, you've dumbed it down so everybody can have a little tasty slice of the pie, but nobody really learns anything. Let me give you an example of something that went really well. A few years ago, I got to train a battalion of National Guardsmen on disaster search and rescue. The following guard weekend, a month later, we went to their site uh, there at their fort, and we ran through a bunch of iterations. Uh, The first time we did it, we took the first platoon of Company A, Company B, Company C, gave them each assignments, put the lieutenants in charge, and ran it through the exercise. Lasted 30 minutes, stopped, hot washed it, figured out what went wrong. Then we put Alpha Bravo and, and, and Charlie Company's second platoons through, through the same thing, changed a little bit. We ran 30 iterations of the same half an hour exercise 30 times in a, in a National Guard weekend from Friday night till Sunday afternoon. We took the, the improvement plan that came quickly out of each one of those, worked it back in, changed the scenario just enough. They got to do it in night and day. They got to do it with cooperative and uncooperative pay. They got to do it with a bunch of different ways. And the learning was immediately worked into their process. Compare that to having exercised the entire Virginia National Guard, which would have taken three years to organize. You would never have gotten the same level of improvement. I am a huge believer in drills. And functional exercises. And if you think about it, a full-scale exercise is nothing except a functional exercise at the command post and a bunch of drills going on. If you can't do it in the drill, you're never going to do it in the full-scale exercise. Got it. I absolutely love that. So two last questions for you. I could talk to you all day about this. Uh, We dream too small. So as a business owner, what I often hear is your think has to be big enough. Yeah. So, so, so here's, here's, I often talk about pizza parlors because everybody understands the pizza business, right? Um, so what can get in the way of delivery success is what? Delivering a pizza right side up, reasonably hot within a certain amount of time, you know, whether it's the table outside or to a home a few miles away, what can get in the way of that? A lot of things. Um, one of the big things is a power failure, right? That's going to really screw up the process. On the other hand, what happens when there's a power failure in the neighborhood? Nobody else can cook. They all want to call for pizza. So you have the chance to be a hero or a zero, depending on your 
recognition. If you go, oh man, power's out, what can we do? Yeah, bad day for you. But if you thought ahead of time and said, it's worth it to have this generator to have plans B and C. Now I am the only game in town. I am cranking out pizzas like hot dogs at a double header and I'm the hero. And that's where you want to be. I love it. (laughs) So, so based on these seven deadly sins, what advice and recommendations can you share on how we avoid some of these mistakes? Here's how you exercise. You get up every morning and you look at the news and you look at the weather, and then you look at your risk assessment because everything starts from the risk assessment. And you look at the risk assessment and you say, based on today's news and weather, what do I need to focus on and what do I need to change in my risk assessment? And your, because your risk assessment, like we said earlier, leads you to understanding the capabilities that you need. And again, those capabilities. So can I prevent what's coming up? Maybe not. Can I protect against it, mitigate against it? Um, yes, I need to be able to respond to it and recover from it. We don't practice that nearly well enough either. All of those things have poetic elements, planning, organizing, exercise, uh, or equipping, training, and exercises. And so exercises is one part of, of this giant picture. And there are days you don't have to exercise, but what you, every day you have to think, where do I go in this? If you're measuring, really honestly measuring the, con- the depth of your concern, the height of your capabilities, and where you are along this way, then it's really easy to pick out, how do I move the needle today? We're not in the exercise business. We're not in the training business. We're in the business of measurably improving preparedness on a continuous basis. Exercises and training are just two ways to help us get there. That's an excellent quote. And you just dropped the mic. (laughs) So Rick, Chris, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for taking my podcast, Sherry, so gently. (laughs) So thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast brought to you by Espalas Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode, as well as it receive Rick's contact information and to see all of the upcoming events and programs that we have available to support you. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts, leave us a review and share it with your friend or colleague if you got value from this episode. Thanks again and I'll talk to you again on the next episode.